Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 359. Pick one and build a business on the back of it. Attention, gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue. Thanks for joining me here today. If you're listening to this right as it's gone live, so today being Saturday, February 26th, tonight is the night that Makers MBA closes for this next class. I'm actually out in Colorado spending time with the family this weekend, but I am accessible if you have any last-minute questions on the program and whether it's right for you. Probably the best way to reach out to me right now is by email, sue at suemonheit.com. Leave a message if I don't answer, and I promise to get back to you right away. As always, (laughs) wondering about Makers MBA for next time? then you can get on the waitlist over at giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash MMBA waitlist. And then I'll let you know when the course opens for enrollment again. Today's conversation is about the headquarters of your business, especially if you don't have a brick and mortar shop. But even so, I say this is your home base, the cog off of which everything else for your business connects and expands. It wasn't like this in years past, but now an online presence is essential. And make no mistake about it, your own website is what you want to be striving for. It's great to have a shop on Etsy or sell through Amazon, but long-term, you want your own self-controlled site for the most stable business structure. My guest today is a Shopify expert, so you're going to hear a lot about that platform, my preferred one, by the way. (laughs) But don't click out if you've got a site somewhere else, because we're talking in depth about websites overall, including the most important first question to ask before you even go one step further. Today, let's talk with Chase Clymer. Chase is the co-founder at Electric Eye, where he and his team create Shopify-powered sales machines from strategic design, development, and marketing decisions. He's also the host of Honest E-Commerce, a weekly podcast that provides online store owners with honest, actionable advice to increase their sales and grow their business. Chase, welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I am really looking forward to this conversation, too. I was telling you earlier, I am a huge Shopify fan, and you're connected intimately with that platform. So that's going to be a good conversation, plus just e-commerce overall, regardless of what platform you're on. So looking forward to that. But before we get started, I have a question for you that I ask everybody, and that is to have you describe yourself as a motivational candle. Like if there was something that really would resonate with you in terms of a color and quote that turned into a candle, what would that look like for you? Ooh, a motivational candle. So as far as color goes, I would go with like a light blue-ish for two reasons. 
one, it would match my eyes and my mom would be excited about that. But two, I would say that it kind of goes with the smell that I'm going after, which would be like a sea breeze or a Bahama breeze type oceany smell and the ocean and the beautiful sky that's blue as well. So there's all that. And then the motivational quote would be, imagine yourself here, something like that. Honestly, one of my life goals is to buy a house on the water. And that's kind of why I work so hard and try to help all other entrepreneurs is to try to get there. I literally have a mini painting on my desk. I'm looking at it right now. It's off to the right of me, which is an island up in... I'm from Columbus, Ohio. And Lake Erie is above us. And there's an island there called Putin Bay. And my family friends have a lake house up there. And it's just like inspiration to kind of work hard. I love that. And I really like the idea also that we're not just in our business to make money have more followers, sell all of our product. There's another reason we're there, right? Like something else that's lifestyle enhancing. And this is your vision to have a place that where you can imagine yourself, the island or on the water, whatever. Absolutely. I think that's really important because I don't know about you, Chase, but when times get tough, it can't just be all about the numbers and getting more sales. There has to be another reason why you're dedicating your life to whatever your business is. I am pretty sure at this point I could maybe, I don't know, I could probably go make money if I sold out, like worked for a bigger company. Not to toot my own horn, I'm pretty smart when it comes to e-commerce. So I'm sure that someone would want to hire me if I just wanted to clock out and not do it. But that's not me. I love entrepreneurship. I've got an amazing team that we're, we're supporting. Me and my partner have a bunch of families that depend on us. So, you know, I'm not giving up on this. This thing's awesome. Wonderful. Perfect. And I can't wait to tap into all of that genius. Give us a little background of how you decided e-commerce was the place where you wanted to be. You know what? I would probably give all of that credit to my business partner. So many moons ago, I was in a band and traveling the country. I didn't pay the bills at all, but I saw a lot of cool stuff. And the whole time I was doing that, I was like freelancing and just learning a little bit of this, a little bit of that, things that I could do from the road remotely, which kind of is funny because I still do everything remotely these days. But anyways, as I was doing that, I actually met my business partner. Him and I designed the album artwork for my band together. And that's like how we first met 12, 13 years ago. And through that, friendship was born. And then when he left his company that he was working at, he was like the third hire at a pretty notable direct consumer like vintage apparel brand out of Columbus, Ohio here. And he had a lot of experience in e-commerce and in kind of design and a little bit of Shopify. So when he left there, he was like freelancing and making every mistake in the world. I was just trying to help him out originally just because I was like, oh, I've made all these mistakes before because I've been doing this since before I was 18. Like, don't do this. This is how to position yourself this way and all this stuff. And kind of just through me trying to teach him the entrepreneurship ropes and we're tag teaming these Shopify projects together. He was kind of doing a little bit of the design dev stuff and I was coming in with the marketing and really kind of struck a chord there. We got a bunch of clients really fast and we realized that you know we were onto something. And next thing we know, we kind of had an agency. As far as getting into e-commerce specifically, I'd give a lot of that to my partner, Sean. But I had been in digital marketing and kind of like strategy and paid ads for the last 10 years. And what do you see about Shopify specifically that made it your platform of expertise? Yeah, that's a great question. So when we got started, we kind of always knew we wanted to do e-commerce, which is funny because I was kind of scared of e-commerce before, like because it was people were allowing me to make improvements to their website. What if my improvement I make is wrong? Or what if I ruin their website and then they lose all their sales and their livelihoods over? Those were think terrors that I had in my mind. And then we started to use Shopify and I was like, wait, you can't break this. This is so cool. Like all the hard things are already taken care of by Shopify because it's a hosted solution. Once you get the payment provider set up and you're good to go, it's pretty hard to break this thing. So it gave me a little more faith in kind of the strategies that we had and what we wanted to do for our clients. 
So technology-wise, that was cool because it gave us the confidence as young entrepreneurs to like really tackle this platform. But outside of that, they are honestly the best ecosystem to exist in from like a partner perspective. I've got mentors and other agencies that I'm friends with in the community. And then there are people at Shopify that have championed us since before we even started the agency, like giving us advice, introducing us to people that needed help, doing beta programs with... And it was just something I'd never felt before. Historically, I kind of had some experience in the WordPress world. And it was just the responses I was getting from people at Shopify and the stuff that was happening in the ecosystem and the partnerships was just like on a whole other level than what I had experienced from like WordPress. So I was like, this is pretty cool. Let's try this. And then it got to a point where the majority of our clients were on Shopify within that first year. And we were just like, why even build out processes and systems for another platform when this one is clearly a winner? I totally agree with you. And I am a huge Shopify fan as well. My other business, The Ribbon Print Company, is a Shopify site. Giftbiz Unwrapped is a WordPress site, so (laughs) I can speak from both sides. But I would always recommend to our audience here to go with Shopify. Clearly, the platform is choice for a product-based business, hands down, without a question. And it sounds like you really found community there and then liked what you were seeing with everybody, the support and just the platform overall. Yeah. And honestly, when we started the business and like niched down into Shopify, it was not the Shopify of today. It was a little over six years ago. They hadn't even gone public yet. They didn't even have their marketing team doing brand awareness marketing yet. Right now, you see their ads everywhere. But back then, it was nothing. It was scrappy. The team probably 10x'd over there at Shopify between when we started and now, maybe even more. The growth that they experienced was just like a happy coincidence with us kind of like hitching our wagon to them. We were just like, well, we like this. We're going to do this one. And then it exploded. Timing was everything for you, Chase. That sounds amazing. (laughs) Just worked out beautifully. For someone who isn't sure that they'd like the platform they're on right now or knows about Shopify, doesn't really understand what the differences are or how you would get started, I don't want this to be a whole conversation just about Shopify. I really want to talk about e-commerce specifically also. But I feel like it would behoove everybody to understand the platform a little bit better. So if someone was thinking of converting, just give a little spiel about Shopify for us. I would say if you, like you said, if you're selling a product-based business, if you're selling an actual product, physical good, maybe you can get into digital too if you want, but let's just stick with physical. If you're selling a physical good, there's like no other platform out there that's going to do it better than Shopify. It takes a lot of the annoyance of a custom site out of your kind of what you need to deal with, but also you can do anything you want on Shopify. It's fully customizable. If you can build it, we can dream it. Like, Don't worry about that. It takes some of the more technical nerdy aspects of it off your plate, which is actually a benefit and not a detriment. And I think that I literally just interviewed someone yesterday on my podcast. And he said that one of their biggest mistakes starting their business was building a custom website when they first launched. And then they turned around and they had wasted money on it because they just turned around and stood up a Shopify instead and kind of leaned more into best practices instead of trying to be a wild card, which is really saying something. It's easier. Yeah, it sure. It definitely is. I mean, and you can have someone else build your site on Shopify, too. Like if you decided that that wasn't something that you wanted to focus your time and attention on. But I'll tell you, Chase. So for the ribbon print company, I think we changed over. We did exactly what you said. And I don't know if it was a mistake because I didn't know about Shopify before. But I'm going to say, do you know when Shopify started? I think they are coming up on 10 years, maybe. Okay, so I want to say, like, we changed our website eight or even almost 10 years ago. 
like right in the beginning. That was like a Shopify like 0.01. It's definitely not the monster it is now. It is so fully robust these days. Right. Well, for sure, because we're obviously still in there making changes, adjusting things, doing different things, adding other apps, all of that. But what I was going to say is, so they must have been up for a couple of years. So let's say eight years ago, we switched over. I don't even remember for sure what year. But we saw an increase in sales almost right away. And I don't know if it's because of the reputation of the platform or what. I went from a WordPress custom design site hosted by a well-known hosted company. So it wasn't just like one of those private hosting groups that used to be around, if they even are anymore, because there's so many options. But immediately, we saw an increase in sales. I would guess, a little bit of an educated guess here. That happened to a lot of our clients that switched over from legacy platforms to Shopify. And the two things that we noticed is, A, the Shopify sites were faster. And the faster your website is, the higher your conversion rate is. That's a fact. That's not an opinion. You can Google that. There have been millions of studies on that. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is, this was Shopify's claim to fame for the longest time, which was that they had split tested that checkout flow to the millionth degree. And it was like the most highly optimized checkout experience on the market. And people were familiar with it and comfortable with it. And it would kind of help lead to higher conversions because it was like a trusted checkout flow. These days, you can get a little more custom with the checkouts and they have opened it up a little bit more. And I don't think they're harping on it in their marketing as much as they used to. But those two things definitely, I think, were some of the advantages to see that increase in sales kind of right off the rip. Got it. Okay. All right. So we can get off the Shopify bandwagon, but you and I could sit on this point forever because I'm totally an advocate and always recommend this platform. It's my job to talk about Shopify and talk about e-commerce. I do this every day. All right. But so there's always the opportunity. You can always change over if you're not happy with where you are right now. But let's talk now about e-commerce overall. Apart from the platform, what would you say is the biggest challenge people are having when it comes to e-commerce? Oh, yeah. This one's easy. It's finding product market fit. Mm, It's the hardest thing in the world. I think that some people have... It's a misunderstanding that if I build a website and I put a product on it, I have a business. And that's not true. You have a business when that product is selling and paying your bills. There's a big delta between those two kind of statements. Finding product market fit is extremely hard. I honestly say consultant or freelancer or agency, for that matter, can help you find product market fit. And for those that don't know what product market fit is, it's oddly hard to define, but it's basically like, does the market want to buy your product? Is your product solving a problem and that your market, i.e. people, are actually buying that product? And it's one of those things where it's kind of hard to like know if someone has it or not, but founders kind of figure it out and they're like, yeah, we have it now. But it's basically like when you're organically getting sales and you're actually seeing conversions from trying to sell your product. But that whole challenge is kind of like an uphill battle and a lot of founders don't realize how much work it is. And if you want to be an entrepreneur and you want to build a business, but you just want to hand somebody a fistful of money and say, make me a business, that's never going to work out. Right. And I talk about this a lot in the handmade product industry already. I call it validating your product. So Mm -hmm. we'll go out. I suggest people like before you even name your company almost is go out to craft shows, get interaction from the community, get feedback from them, see what products that you're making, if that's your area, what they're gravitating to and what they're buying to see that there's actually people who want to not just say your product's beautiful, but actually exchange money to get your product. 
that's the key right there. You got to get paid just because your friends think it's a good idea or your significant other. If a stranger isn't willing to give you money for it, I don't think you've validated it yet. Exactly. 100%. And I agree with you also. And I see this not just in products, but in, well, I'm going to say virtual products, but that doesn't as much apply here. I don't know that I want to go there. But when you click into the right thing, you see automatic results. And you're not having to like push it out, push it out, push it out and like try to convince people that it's valuable. When it's a right fit, it just starts to flow your way easily. It makes everything easier when your product resonates with your audience. Right. All right. So let's say someone has been out to shows, sticking with what my audience can relate to the best. They have validated the product. They go out to craft shows and they create products and people are buying them at shows, but they recognize that they need an online presence as well. And this wasn't even going to be my question, but I think I have a new question for where (laughs) where we've flown with this conversation. Why would an e-commerce presence in this situation be important for somebody? Absolutely. I mean, your local market is only so big and the world is huge. And just the market share that you could get from putting a product that has some kind of validation online is massive. And I would actually say that another thing you could do, maybe your town is smaller or you kind of live a little bit further away from people, whatever. You could kind of do almost like a virtual esque kind of craft show, which is like I've seen people stand up like dummy products on marketplaces such as like Etsy or eBay or Amazon and they validate it that way. And that'd be a great way to get feedback and to kind of iterate upon your product at the beginning. But also, you know, there's nothing wrong with continuing on those channels. There's pros and cons to marketplaces over like an owned website like a Shopify. If it allows you to get products out the door faster and you kind of hit those economies of scale and you can get cheaper resources to produce your product, sometimes it's worthwhile. Absolutely. First of all, I would call your own hosted website your home base. That's the headquarters really of all your business online. But having an Etsy shop, as you're talking about, has a whole different audience, perhaps there'll be some overlap, but a different audience than those people who you're going to attract and bring to your website. So it's kind of like you sell your product direct to consumer, and then you also have your product in a local boutique to sell. It's just different avenues where you can intercept with a potential customer who could then buy your product. Yeah. And if every time you order all your products, like you can produce 100 units on your own website, it takes you forever to move through those 100 units, whereas you could like benefit from the traffic that these marketplaces get and move through those faster and reorder. And that's just all that's doing is growing your brand exponentially faster. Absolutely. And selling on Amazon is a different strategy than selling on Etsy, which is a different strategy than selling on your own hosted website. Absolutely all totally different. And we've gone into some of that detail in some of the other podcast episodes here. Okay, so that's the importance of e-commerce. Now, some people, and I'm speaking from experience with my audience, understand all of this. They go through all the effort of getting their website up. It's working. It's loading fast. They have a checkout. They have their about page. Some of these elements that are really important for them to have, but they're not getting any sales. Nothing's coming because they think, like what you were talking about before, if I just build it and put a website up, people are going to come to my site and they're going to buy from me. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't, does it? No. My question to those people would be like, cool, did you tell anybody about it? (laughs) Right. Well, but it's online, so aren't people just going to find it because now I have an online presence? 
that is something that is a hard pill to swallow, especially if they're seeing success on a marketplace. They're like, shouldn't it just be the same thing? And shouldn't I get a better margin? It's like, well, you know, the reason that you're seeing those sales on a marketplace is because the marketplace has worked so hard to acquire all those customers. And by the way, those aren't your customers. Those are the marketplace's customers. You're right. just a vendor and you're selling your wares on their, in their marketplace. Acquiring a customer is expensive and it's hard to do at the beginning. But I ask this question a lot on my podcast. It's like, hey, how did you get your first couple of customers? Like, what were you doing? Like, what was your go-to-market strategy? And a lot of the answers were kind of the same. And they were a little bit of work. They were like, do the things that don't scale. They were like, we were going to marketplaces, like in person. We were going to fairs and et cetera. I was hanging out in mommy forums and talking about my new baby product. We were in Facebook groups and like just communicating with potential customers and learning how to talk about the value proposition of their product and the features and benefits in the way that resonated with their audience and just really getting the word out there in a more organic fashion at the beginning. Five years ago, seven years ago, maybe you could possibly build a business on the back of paid ads, but you can't do that now. If your plan to grow your business is I'm going to dump a lot of money into Facebook or Google or TikTok, etc., you're going to go bankrupt that's not a growth strategy to like if you're trying to acquire your first customers that way and then grow from it like it's not a sustainable strategy well and i'm going to suggest that most people aren't even looking at ads they're just feeling like it should be up and so then they're just going and posting on social and we know the organic reach with social these days (laughs) it's nil i mean like if okay you have a website with no traffic and then you have a new instagram account with four followers you can do the math right You need to get the word out about your product, get it in front of more people in a way that's a little more scalable. Paid ads is one way, but I think that especially when you're launching a business, and I'm assuming a lot of your listeners might be a little more scrappy, the ways to do that would be like influencer is still an option these days. Do some product sampling with people that have audiences that you think are made up of people that are potentially your customers. And then kind of some of those non-scalable things I just talked about, like the Facebook groups and going to actual craft fairs, etc. There's a million strategies out there. And honestly, it can be overwhelming. And I really like to tell people that when they're first getting started is just like, pick one and build a business on the back of it. And then once you kind of see that traction and things are working, then explore some other avenues for marketing. So A, you don't have all your eggs in one basket. And B, certain avenues are better for certain steps of the funnel. Absolutely. 100% agree with you there. And so here's the thing, and I'm talking to everyone who's listening right now, is I think so many times building a website looks like and feels like such a big project. But once that website's up and running, that was like step one. Now you have that home base for yourself. Now you've got to tell everybody about it. And you merge them together. So if you're at a craft show, make sure people know about the website so you can go and you can reorder from the website. Or there's different scents of the candles that you sell on the website. You've only brought a portion of them to the show. Things like that. So that's where I start to talk about the website is your home base, your headquarters. And so you want to drive everybody there at some point. Yeah. And that's almost a a strategy that's similar to how you can utilize the marketplaces to drive traffic to your website. I see that people at a certain point, they'll pivot their products and have a lot more exclusive product on their home base, as you would say, versus their marketplaces. So maybe like on Amazon, you're only selling like a bundle that's bigger because that makes more sense for your margins there. Or on Etsy, it's a certain colorway, but then like all the other ones live on your website to make it unique and to try to drive that traffic to a different channel. 
That's a really good point. And I could see for people who have an exclusive line, maybe you have a more generic line, you have a lot of people working and helping you with that line, but there's a specific line that you are making yourself. And it's maybe even branded a little bit differently, but it's still under your umbrella of your business. Like that only sits on your website. So you drive people over for a purpose. It's not a repeat of what you have and everywhere else. Right, Chase? Exactly. Got it. Okay. Because you have to have a reason. If someone can see everything on Etsy, what's the point of going to your website? And also some people, not some people, all people are lazy and they're going to buy things the way that is the path of least resistance. And if they're a native Etsy shopper or an Amazon shopper, they're just going to kind of check out that way. But if your goal is to increase your sales on your home base, you need to make a reason for people to go over there. Right. And you want to be able to talk to them too. So I see a lot of times, especially with product-based businesses, they'll give a first-time customer discount or they'll enter people into a sweepstakes or all these different types of things in exchange for their email so that they can continue a relationship with them versus just hoping they land once again in the Etsy store. Just getting an email or a phone number in general is like valuable to a business, especially at scale. And people even have metrics against it, like cost for acquisition. They might even just be talking about like getting new email signups. And some people can do the math to see what an email is worth to their business and see if that is like a profit generating activity from like a paid perspective. Mm-hmm. But to your point, yeah. And that's why having your own home base and having your own website is so important is once you get those things, like some people aren't ready to buy just yet. Basically, it's like thinking about this. If you had a boutique, they walked in your door, they like were looking at things for quite a bit. And then you just watch them walk out the door. And you're like, Oh, I could have got that person's email and told them more about our products and try to kind of walk them down the funnel. Like now they know about us. Like now let's get them to like us and talk about the benefits of our products and the features of our products. Now let's get them to trust us by sending them some social proof and some reviews. And you can do all of that through email marketing. But you know, if you just let people kind of come to your website and leave and you're not getting their email or their phone number, you're leaving money on the table. Absolutely. And I think it's a good point that you bring up too, is that not everybody is in the market for your product at the time you intercept with them. And what happens if someone saw your product really, really like it, like in their mind, they're like, yeah, but I don't have any purpose for it. I don't need it yet. And then a month later, one of their girlfriends has a birthday and all of a sudden they're like, what was that company again? This would be the best gift. And they have no clue how to get to you. Yeah, but if you would have spent the time to write like a beautiful welcome series and you like got that person onto your email list because you had like an incentivized kind of email pop up, now they probably have gotten two or three emails from you and they've learned about like the cool wood that your products made out of and like the cool technique that you use to create it and they're like super jazzed about it and now they have a reason to buy. Yep, agreed. I would even say an email is more important than follow us on Facebook. First thing you want is the email. Yeah, I would uh, 100% say that. I think that email and the phone number are basically akin to money. I would say social followers are definitely secondary. Okay, so you've said this now twice, so I have to talk about it, Chase. I'm going to challenge you only because I know my listeners are thinking the same thing, okay? You keep talking about this telephone number. I'm talking as if I'm a listener now. I don't want to start spamming people by sending them text messages. What would you say to me about that? Stay tuned to hear Chase's answer to my question about text messages. We'll get to that right after a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Yes, it's possible. Increase your sales without adding a single customer. How you ask? By offering personalization with your products. 
wrap a cake box with a ribbon saying, Happy 30th birthday, Annie. Or add a special message and date to wedding or party favors for an extra meaningful touch. Where else can you get customization with a creatively spelled name or fine packaging that includes a saying whose meaning is known to a select two? Not only are customers willing to pay for these special touches, they'll tell their friends and word will spread about your company and products. You can create personalized ribbons and labels in seconds. Make just one or thousands without waiting weeks or having to spend money to order yards and yards. Print words in any language or font. Add logos, images, even photos. Perfect for branding or adding ingredient and flavor labels too. For more information, go to theribbonprintcompany.com. I would say you're making an assumption. You want to market to your customer and the way that they want to hear from you. And I guarantee that some of your customers do want to get those text messages and they do want to hear from you that way because they actually like your brand more than the 10,000 unread emails they have in their email inbox. And that is their preferred way of communication. So they would actually enjoy to hear from you that way. Some people even say the same thing about email marketing. They're like, I can't send more emails. People don't want to hear from us. And I'm like, says who? What's your unsubscribe rate? Well, it's really, really low. And I'm like, yeah, because you're not sending any emails. It's marketing, people. And you need to get the word out there. And your customers will tell you when you're doing it too much. To the point, though, of like email versus SMS. Definitely send less texts than you're sending emails. But it's a huge channel. Okay, perfect. Okay, so you don't even know that all your emails are actually being delivered to the inbox. Unless you're getting responses from people, unless they're your customer. So just like social media, but I think more in your control is the deliverability of email. But now let's talk. You are starting to get into this. So I have some questions for you about it, Chase. Okay, so you get the email and you get the phone number from somebody, okay? Because we're trusting you, Chase. We believe what you're saying and we want to get both of these. Now, do we send the same messages to both places? Do we do phone numbers more than emails? How would you advise someone to work with both those two ways of communicating with customers? Short answer is no. You should be very strategic about what you're saying in what channel. We find that with SMS, it's things that are a little more urgent. It's like a flash sale or a product drop where email is a little more casual. And the cadence on email can be a lot higher because people get so many emails. You could have a customer that literally gets every single email that you send, but someone else is probably sending them more email and they don't even notice like how frequently you're kind of reaching out to them and saying things in their inbox. But with text messages, it is a little more personal and it's a little more noticeable. So you definitely want to keep the frequency a little bit lower on the SMS. And I think I sidestepped your question. So I want to make sure I answer it. No, I like that you say that the SMS is more urgent. So it's special. And SMS, I feel, is even a subset group of the emails. It's the people who really, really want to hear from you. You want to have respect for those people and send things that are only really valuable. And I think they're almost direct to sales things, really. Yeah, it's very direct response. But here's another thing that I think people need to realize. It's not email or SMS. It's email and SMS. Your campaign is your campaign about your product release. But then you're like, okay, we're going to say this on SMS at this time. We're going to say this on email at this time. You write the strategy and then like drop in the channels and the touch points and what you want to say kind of after that. It isn't like, well, we're only going to release this on SMS. Well, you could do that, but <laughs> that's a more advanced strategy. But it's like they work together. You could even send things to the same people, but maybe at different times. So it's maybe like the product announcement is through email. And then like, oh, the sale ends. You're going to say that through SMS because that's a little more urgent. 
Okay, so really what you're saying is you need a strategy. You need to put yourself in the recipient's shoes if they've given you both their email and their phone number. Some people won't. Sue, let me tell you this. It's mind-boggling the amount of businesses that have just like this plethora of user data, and they just don't use it because there's no strategy behind it. It's like you're sitting on money. You could be printing money. Your sales could go through the roof. It's like just because you're collecting this stuff, you got to send the emails. You got to send the texts. You got to be saying something. You got to have a communication. You got to talk. For sure. When you say customer data, what are you talking about? The contact information, emails? Email, SMS, a little more advanced. You have people pixeled in whatever kind of ad platform that you're using. People set everything up and then they kind of just like, well, we don't use that channel or they have these hesitations to talk to people. That's, I think, another thing is just send the email. It doesn't have to be perfect. Like sending the email is better than not every time. All right. So email, phone numbers, you need a strategy. It might be a similar message. It's also the content of the message because email can be a lot longer than a text message is going to be. Yeah, you definitely want the text to be to the point and easy to understand. And that goes almost to your offers too. Make sure that your sales are straightforward and like easy to comprehend and explain to somebody. Like imagine that your customer's drunk and in a hurry. It's just like you need to be able to explain to them what your sale is and they need to be able to get it quickly. Right. And do you have a platform that you use for delivering your text messages? We are Clavio Gold Partners, or even maybe higher than that. We, we love Clavio. Okay. I am not a Clavio user. Will you tell everybody what Clavio is about? Cool. I would say the 800 pound gorilla is MailChimp from like an email perspective. And then from SMS, there's a few other contenders out there. But the easiest way to describe is that MailChimp is a Toyota Corolla and Clavio is a Ferrari Enzo. And which one would you rather drive if you want to win the race? Okay. But what if there's somebody who is using MailChimp, doesn't want to leave it because at least they're getting those emails out to your point earlier. Is there another text delivery system that you can use that is in conjunction with email or a standalone? Yeah, it doesn't have to be the same one. We're just kind of fans of the simplicity for our clients. But some of our clients do have competing platforms. It's not competition, but like they have different platforms to serve different purposes. PostScript is another great SMS platform, especially for Shopify stores. And there's a few other alternatives out there, but those two are the best. But the cool thing about Clavio versus MailChimp is Clavio was tailor-made for e-commerce. So not only is it like a campaign email sending engine or whatever you want to call it. It also has the automation arm of it. And automations are crucial in e-commerce. So you can send your customer tailored messages specific to their unique customer journey. So like an easy example is abandoned cart, but like a more advanced example would be like you can send someone a gift card on their birthday or you can say, hey, like a replenishment email be like you bought this product six months ago. It's probably empty. Do you want another one? And the power of those automations is they're just always happening in the background. And that message is so much more targeted to the customer than a kind of like campaign, which is a little more, not like a shotgun approach, but it's a little more blasty of like, everyone's getting the same message. Right. You can really, really super segment your list is what you're saying. Down to one if it's your birthday. Yeah. You can do some really cool stuff with the segmentation in a platform like that. Yeah. I mean, even think of this is the anniversary of the first time I was able to send you my product. 
First purchase anniversary. Yep. And you do like a first purchase thank you. You do a second purchase thank you. You can do like a VIP type series if they bought X amount of dollars of your product. If you can tie it to a binary attribute, you can probably send an automation. Yeah. All right. Well, it sounds like Clavio is a whole separate podcast topic <laughs> in terms of how you do it, how you get into it, all of that. It is cool. Let's dive a little bit more into your website and just setting up and having an e-commerce presence. And I want to kind of back it up for people so that they can kind of in their mind be checking off the list what they have now versus what is optimal. Let's talk about what your site should consist of. Like what types of pages should we have? Things like that. Absolutely. Well, the cool thing about Shopify is it kind of doesn't allow you to build a website that doesn't have the pages you need. So again, it's just making it easier for you. But the website in general is like, yeah, think about the kind of the purchase flow. So you're going to obviously have a homepage and then you're going to have a collection page. And this is where it gets a little bit interesting per kind of like product line or brand, etc. It's like, do you have a high skew count store with like multiple things or do you have a low skew count store? And maybe you can actually just circumvent a collection page because you can just go right to a product page because you only sell one thing. And then the next step of the funnel is obviously the product page. From there, you're getting to the cart and then you're checking out, right? So that's like your typical customer journey. A few things within that journey that are going to help with your conversion rate is people are curious who's making these products. So you definitely want an about page that tells your story and why you're unique and the cool stuff about you. And then another thing is like on that the product page and kind of sometimes the checkout page is now they're curious about your shipping and return policy. So you should definitely have a page built out for that. And then from a customer journey perspective, that's like brass tacks, the minimum that you need to kind of get started and get going. But then there's all sorts of other stuff that you can start building out. You're selling a food product that's in a certain category. You can build out a bunch of pages about recipes on how to use your product. And all those are doing is trying to help sell your product. But honestly, on Shopify, once you kind of build it out, it's going to stand up the pages that you need. And then you kind of need that journey to make sense. But to that journey and to that point, I see a lot of people putting a lot more stuff in their top line navigation than they really need to. Everything isn't important. The only things that are important are things that are going to make you money. So be very cognizant on like what is going to end up in that top line navigation on your website. And then to a store that has a high SKU count where filtering and sorting would matter, you absolutely need to build that into your site the right way. If your site doesn't allow me to get to the product that I need as fast as I want to, I'm on your site and I want the size large black t-shirt and I can't drill down into that, I'm going to go to an experience, i.e. I'm going to go to a website that allows me to get to what I want faster. Absolutely. Which also falls in line with the loading of the site. Yeah. I definitely just looked over performance, but like performance is crucial. That's something that I see a lot of people having issues with on Shopify is because they are very good at promoting the Shopify app ecosystem. But something that isn't really as widely known, and I try to tell everybody, is every time you install an app on your Shopify store, it's installing code into your theme. It's also installing another JavaScript call, which means it's loading an external file as well. And when you press uninstall, that app loses the ability to interact with your store and your theme. So that code's still there. Now, if you repeat that a dozen times, you've slowed your website down, like probably not noticeably, but like really, if you slowed it down. Oh. So when you're testing apps, there's like a way to do it the right way and a way to do it the wrong way, which the wrong way is what 99% of people do because they don't realize what this does. And so what happens is people kind of just end up with this code base that's full of spaghetti. And depending on the size of your business and kind of your sales and whatnot, there are ways to fix it. 
But nine times out of 10, it's probably like start over on a new theme and just like rebuild what you have because that's just going to be infinitely faster than like pulling the string on a sweater, i.e. your code base and like it just unraveling to a project that no one wants to deal with. That's really interesting that the code stays there. Yeah, they don't really tell anybody about that. But I'm out here saying it and I got my friends in the industry saying it too and telling everybody. But that's yeah. a really common thing. They're like, my website's slow. And I'm like, how long have you had this theme? And they're like, three years. And I was like, okay, well, A, there are more modern technologies to build Shopify themes now. So that is a check and they're like, this is a detriment. This is probably why it's slow. And it's like, let me check out your apps. And they've got 60 apps installed. I'm like, well, that's way too many to begin with. And I'm like, if I see that, I know you've tested another 60 probably. I was like, your code base probably looks like Swiss cheese and it won't make any sense. And we won't be able to make any sense from it to like make any improvements. We might tell you that you'd probably need a new theme. So explain what a theme is for people who are totally unfamiliar. Cool. So basically, Shopify is the back end of your e-commerce business. It basically runs all the e-commerce functionality of your store. And then the theme is basically the front end of your store. And it's the look and feel and the functionality. It's like the website in most people's eyes. But the design, the look, the feel, kind of like what it looks on mobile versus desktop, all that lives in your theme. And if you keep injecting a bunch of code into your theme, it's going to be slow, especially on mobile. That's something to kind of keep in mind. So when you're starting a Shopify, let's say you're starting from scratch and you're building a Shopify account, the very first thing you'll do is select a theme. So then you see like the flow of the homepage and some things come with the theme. And these themes are all third party created, right, Chase? No, actually. So there's a few things I can say there. So one, there is like a Shopify theme store and there are free options and then there are paid options, but all of them are kind of like off the shelf and they're all a little bit generic and they are kind of built for the general public and nothing is super tailored to your business or your customer or your unique customer journey. With that being said, if you're not making a million dollars a year, use something off the shelf because the performance enhancements that you'd get from going with a like custom designed theme from like a reputable agency or whatever is nil, kind of like sub $1 million. But if your business is doing great now, you're kind of out of that startup phase. I call like zero to $1 million probably the startup phase. And then like one to 10 in e-commerce is like, you know, you're scaling. Once you kind of turn that corner around seven figures, it's the advantages that you'd get, which are fractional increases, like percentage increases from going to a more performant theme that's custom and tailor-made to your customer journey and your products, etc. Those like relate to like thousands and tens of thousands of dollars in margin. Okay. All right. Perfect. I thought that each of the themes was third-party created and then approved by Shopify to be in the selection base. Some are, some aren't. But if it's in the Shopify theme store, it has been through a rigorous kind of process. Anything that isn't in the Shopify theme store? No, you just don't do it. <laughs> That's it. Because there's so much selection there. You don't need something. And there's no... Shopify isn't like looking at the code or looking at how it's built. And like, it could be slow or it could be a lie, whatever. Like, just don't trust anything that's not on the Shopify theme store. Yeah. Okay. We won't go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> some things are older than others. Some are less supported than others. Don't be afraid of that because you can also change your theme. You can change your theme. And then any theme you can customize if you hire a designer and developer that know what they're doing. So you can always start one place. That's the thing. I think people get too bogged down in like the design of their website before they start marketing it. And it's like, that's not really like as big of a deal as you think, especially at the beginning. Again, you got to get product market fit. You got to get customer feedback. Like, Just start selling. And trust me, there'll be time later on to redesign the website. 
Yes, absolutely. Okay. And so tell me a little bit then about Electric Eye. Do you help build the sites for people then or share with me the services that you provide there? Absolutely. So most people come to us for custom designed websites. So we're doing a whole design process with them and then developing it out on our framework that's lightning fast. It's all connected with Shopify. Yeah, we're building you a custom Shopify theme at the end of the day if we're going through that process. Okay. But it's unique to your business and to your branding and all that stuff. And our framework is like constantly updated to be like as nimble as it can be with the current Shopify releases and all the cool stuff that we can do there. And then the other kind of offerings that we have, people come to us for like CRO or email and SMS marketing, a lot of Clavio stuff. What's CRO? Conversion rate optimization. So what that basically means is you've got a website. It's fantastic. There's always room for improvement. Your website's never done. And so conversion rate optimization is kind of like using the scientific method to make hypotheses around if we move this button here, we think it's going to increase conversion. And then you do an A-B test and you send a bunch of traffic to it and then you get a result and there'll be a significant difference. Once you hit a certain number, it's a statistical difference that is like, well, that one wins. But in reality, seven times out of 10, your hypothesis won't matter. And that's just part of the game. But the one time out of 10 where it's a home run is going to change the business. So coming into it with like a testing mentality, something to do. But brands that are kind of sub a million dollars a year probably don't have the traffic or velocity of orders to do those tests. It's definitely a little more upmarket to do conversion rate optimization. Okay. All right. And what will we learn if we listen to the Honest E-Commerce podcast? So what I've really started to focus on these days is interviewing brands and getting their journey and their words and asking them questions about like, how did you come up with the idea? Where did you get your first couple customers? What advice would you tell your younger self? Was very heavily inspired by how I built this. That's kind of like how I built this for Shopify brands. Perfect. Well, I think that's definitely a show that we should be listening to. So it's called Honest E-Commerce, probably everywhere podcasts are. Everywhere that podcasts hang out. Have you put your podcast on Facebook yet? You can do that? Yeah. I have not. (laughs) Yeah. You put it on your Facebook page and it's a tab. It's a drop down. So people can just go to Facebook, click on the podcast drop down and then get any of the episodes full. You don't load them in. It automatically goes there. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. Chase, this has been incredibly informative. Thank you so much. I really appreciate taking a look into the expertise of e-commerce overall and specifically Shopify. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Hmm. What's your opinion of messaging? Chase's comments have me rethinking my position, and I'd love to hear your opinion. How do you feel about messaging your customers? Do you have a system already set up? Do you like receiving messages from businesses you deal with? Direct message me with your thoughts or comment on any of the social posts connected with this podcast episode. It's an interesting point to consider since messaging is being used more and more these days. I can't wait for us to dive into next Saturday's show where we talk with a business owner whose physical product is only half of the mission of her company. If you have a cause that you hold dear and have been thinking about how your business could bring more attention or dollars to the effort, this is one you don't want to miss. And don't forget, I'm also here each Wednesday for a shorter episode where you hear about something I'm seeing in the world of handmade. Thanks so much for spending time with me today. If you'd like to show support for the podcast, let me know how it's helped you. Something new you've learned? 
or suggest a topic you'd like to know more about. Just add it as a review on iTunes or any other review site. I read every single one personally and absolutely use suggestions as guidance for new guests and topics. There are other ways to show support for the podcast, too. Visit our merch shop for a wide variety of gift biz paraphernalia, like mugs, t-shirts, water bottles, and more, featuring logos and quotes to inspire you throughout your day. You can take a look at all the options over at giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash shop. All the proceeds help offset the costs of producing this podcast. And now, be safe and well, and I'll see you again next time on the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. I want to make sure you're familiar with my free Facebook group called Gift Biz Breeze. It's a place where we all gather and are a community to support each other. I've got a really fun post in there that's my favorite of the week, I have to say, where I invite all of you to share what you're doing, to show pictures of your product, to show what you're working on for the week to get reaction from other people, and just for fun, because we all get to see the wonderful products that everybody in the community is making. My favorite post every single week, without doubt. Wait, what? Aren't you part of the group already? If not, make sure to jump over to Facebook and search for the group Gift Biz Breeze. Don't delay. Come join us in Gift Biz Breeze. Today, 